Coming up on Money Beat, it wasn't too long ago that the U.S. dollar looked like it could only go in one direction, and that direction was up. But things have changed in Washington. Things are changing with the dollar. Things are changing with the markets. What are the shifting tides? That is what we're going to talk about next. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Money Beat. Glad to be with you again. Paul and Steve here in the studio in New York City, joined today by our uh, one of our currency experts, Ira Yusebashvili. Ira, you get one. better and better at saying my last uh, name someday as the years someday go I think on. I'll get Paul. it perfect. Uh, that was I'm that trying, was pretty man. close. That was pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and also on the line, calling in, we have Mark Astley, who is the CEO of Millennium Global. Mark, welcome back. How are you? Hi, great to be with you again. And and in case you haven't pieced it together yet, folks, by having these these two guests, what we want to talk about today is the dollar. That's right. The last time we had Mark on, which was a couple months ago, the dollar was surging. We know after the election, it hit a 14-year high. It was moving up. Everyone expected the dollar to keep moving up. However, yesterday, Ira, you wrote the story. Or was yeah. it yesterday or the day before? Could have been the day before. The dollar fell to a low since what was like November 11th? Since November yeah. 11th. That's right. The days are blurring the together. Day, I know. They really are. So changing tides on the dollar bet is today's topic. Ira, Mark, Steve, Paul here in the studio. Uh, where should we go first with this, Chris? Where well, I mean, what ha- I mean, what happened in the first quarter that you, you basically everyone going in was like the dollar is going to rise in 2017 because of the Fed, um, you know, continuing to tighten and you know the Trump policies were going to get the gov- you know, get the economy going, and the rest of the world was going to have loose monetary policy. Blame the Trump trade. That's Trump right. trade. Blame the okay. Trump trade. I, that's that. The investors that we talked to. Um, a lot of people were buying the dollar on the hopes that, first of all, it was the Trump trade, um, expectations that um, Trump would be able to push through infrastructure spending and tax cuts that he promised. And the second thing was also expectations of a more, uh, of a more aggressive Fed. And that's what powered the dollar in the months after the election. Um, and uh, that is what is kind of sapping the dollar strength right now. Yeah, but yeah, what that's pr- absolutely correct. And the other thing to add would be that in Europe uh, and elsewhere, but particularly in Europe, the growth numbers have come out much stronger than any economist expected. Mm-hmm. So to bring that into the round, those three factors have made um, what was a very euphoric bullish view in January, early January somewhat um, tepid now, and people reassessing. Can we talk about just a little bit more, I guess, about the you know the Trump trade? Because this is obviously going to be a big part about going forward, or at least right. one part of it. What is what is your sort of take, Mark, now on how investors in, you know who are looking at the dollar should view a policy coming out of Washington going forward? Yeah, you know, as we said just a moment ago, there's a complete change in the perspective on the Trump trade because there seems to be disarray now in the White House post the setbacks it's had on the initial um, immigration policies, as you know. And of course, last week I was in the, in the States uh, doing some traveling and seeing clients. And of course, there was a big announcement at the end of the week around the failure to repeal and replace Obamacare. Mm-hmm. So there's now a great deal of consternation as to whether whatever the Treasury Department is cooking up and Steve Mnuchin and his idea there's going to be the biggest reform in the tax code since Reagan, that actually whether it has any chance of coming to Congress even this year. 
And that's the 180-degree turn, the vault fast that Ivan talked about at the beginning. Um, perhaps that pendulum was swung a little bit too far, insofar as I think at some stage this year there's likely to be some announcement of the, the direction of travel uh, as to the machinations of getting it through Congress and the timing of that is highly uncertain, but certainly the market will react to something. For example, if the border tax were to be adopted and pushed through in the Trump plan, that could be a significantly market-moving event for the dollar right. um, by a substantial margin. And there would have to be some discounting of that in the market, irrespective of the probability or whatever that might be of it actually getting passed. So we're likely to see some uh, action of that kind throughout the year, I think. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it, investors are in a slightly difficult place because you can make you can easily make the argument one way or the other, whichever you really want, that the, what happened with the health care bill in Congress with the White House backing, the, the sort of, you know, just, you know, wasted opportunity it turned into whatever – that will easily translate into tax reform. Tax reform is going to be harder than getting health care through. So if health care, they couldn't do health care, what are the odds of doing taxes? Oh, my God, maybe I should not be putting all my, my, my money into risk assets. On the other hand, can you really say that until they actually do it and either succeed or fail? So – and I think the market is kind of taking that. You know, No, we can't say that it won't happen until they succeed or well, fail. And you've seen – you know. Mar is, you know, markets are down a little bit. The dollar is turning, but I mean, these these swings are not huge swings. Um, so I think the market is still willing to give Washington and the GOP the benefit of the doubt, but there is there has to be some doubt. Oh, I think yeah. there's certainly. Said, that's yeah. why the pendulum has swung perhaps too far in thinking that it's never going to happen this year and and uh, maybe into next only. So. Um, there is a possibility of getting some more clarity, um, and that would have a market-moving impact on the dollar. One of the things I, you know, I want to get to is also the, the sort of the, you know, the the economy, because that was one of the things that I think a lot of people were looking at besides just the Trump policies. But was the fact that the in the second half of 2016, the, the U.S. economy was showing strength. But what you're seeing now is. It, it, it's it's still doing you know decently, but we're we sort of seem to be more muddling along, while you see other parts of the world improving a great deal. And how is that impacting the sort of view of the dollar? Well, it, it seems like the the U.S. is no longer the only place in the world that is showing standout growth. As Mark pointed out, we've had good numbers coming in from Europe. And uh, although there is still a significant divergence uh, in monetary policy between Europe and the U.S., which makes the dollar more attractive, there are uh, less reasons right now to buy the U.S. and more reasons to buy Europe than there were a few months ago. And that's definitely uh, weighing on the dollar. Another thing is that um, there's a lot of money going into emerging markets, emerging market currencies. And uh, that is also a factor that's, uh, that, that, that's holding the dollar back, at least in, in that sector. Yeah, I think to echo that, in Europe, in the first quarter, we've had the release of the PMI data, and it's the highest in six years. You know, no one had expected that. Yeah. And similarly, there's the tightest dispersion across the, the 19 countries of any time in the last several years. So A, it's recovering the continent, and B, Everybody's recovering. It's not just Germany or the big countries. And that, uh, to Ivan's point, has been, has been key. You know, Mark, um, 
to put it into context today, we have two-year rates in the U.S. at 130, thereabouts, in round number terms. In two-year Germany, we're still minus 70, so the spread is 200 between the two. Now, that has narrowed in the last three months, which is why the dollar's been softer, from about a wide of 230 or thereabouts. The question going forward, then, is, A, what is the trajectory of rates in the U.S.? And actually, the market's not pricing very much. Yeah. It's only pr- it's pricing less than two rate rises this year. And I know Stanley Fisher last night confirmed yeah. that might be the case, but that some economists are saying there could be three. And secondly, it's pricing something like two in 2018. And some are thinking there could be three or even four, one a quarter. That's yeah. on the U.S. side. On the other side, to what extent is this stronger growth in Europe really going to feed in such that you go from minus rates to even flat in Germany? in the core Eurozone two-year note. And that's a $64,000 question. So I think you can argue the case either way. In the short term, clearly it would appear as though actually that spread could narrow and therefore propel the euro a little bit higher here. But um, both economies have done better than expected, and therefore that picture may change as we go through the year. All right. Let's let's let folks mull on the $64,000 question for a second while we take this break. Mark Ashley, Ira Yosef-Ashvili, Stephen Grosser, Paul Vigna will come back with more on the markets, the dollar, and growth. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. I'm Veronica Dagger. Do you want to know how the rich invest, spend, and protect their money? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Welcome back to Money Beat. Paul and Stephen here in the studio with Ira Yosebashvili and Mark Astley, CEO of Millennium Global, calling in on the phone, talking about the dollar and the markets. And if you like what you're hearing, and of course that we, we hope that you do, you can get more. You can, there are a lot of ways to access Wall Street Journal podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter. We are at WSJ Podcasts. You can share if you get the shows. Actually, I'm, I'm jumping around, right? I should tell you first how you can get the shows. And you can get the shows. You can follow us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or on your Google Play Music app, Amazon Echo, or Amazon Tap. I have to be honest, I don't even know what Amazon Tap is. Uh, yeah, I'm real techie, but anyhow. And hey, hey, once you get those, once you get those, uh, once you start subscribing, you can share your shows, share your favorite shows of ours with your friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash WSJ podcasts. Okay, uh, that, that's enough promotion there. Let's get back to questions about the markets. And, and one question, uh, Mark Ashley, you had mentioned the PMI reports in Europe. And one thing I think a dynamic that is going on now that I find very interesting, and we've written about it a fair amount on the Money Beat blog, is this difference between so-called soft data and hard data, where the surveys 
are all showing sentiment very, very high. And the other day here in the U.S., we had consumer confidence come in at a 16-year high. Business surveys show executives are high. But the hard data, the actual numbers, uh, durable goods orders, retail sales, that kind of stuff, is is still showing an economy, at least here in the U.S., that is just kind of trudging along. And I'm wondering, are, are you seeing that in Europe and, and to what degree or not? Well, the hard data is certainly improving, um, um, as it has done in the U.S. I think one of the key things in the state side is the idea of employment coming down such that there may be no more um, capacity in the economy, which is why you could get the sort of dollars put a view of a lot of rate, rate rises. In Europe, uh, you're not seeing a great deal of um, follow-through yet, to your point. Uh, and certainly, the United Kingdom, um, where I'm sitting right now, is suffering from the potential of weak consumption because inflation is ticking up after a much, much weaker pound sterling after the collapse last year mm-hmm. at a time where wages aren't going up. In fact, just as a diversion, perhaps, it's a very momentous day in which we're having yeah. this podcast. Yeah, because the United I wanted Kingdom, to get into that. One hour ago, has just released its letter to the European, uh, European Commission to say that this country is exiting uh, the EU, which is a profound change given that we've been a member for 44 years. Right. And I want to clear enough, the EU was founded 60 years ago, only four days ago. So the political dynamics in Europe are perhaps even more interesting and important going forward than the economic ones, right. yeah, um, particularly with the French presidential election coming up in just four weeks. And that's a huge issue over here. Right. Yeah, let's, let's actually talk. I wanted to get to that, but now that you bring it up, let, let's talk about that a little bit because the market – look, we all knew this was coming, so you're not seeing any real reaction in the market from it. But this is significant. Right, and it also – it comes actually an interesting period too because the sweep of populism – um, the concern about the sweep of populism and what that would mean for the EU has receded a bit because of the Austrian elections and the elections in uh, the Netherlands as well coming yep. out for pro-European candidates. But uh, where where does that sort of, I guess, stand? Where, what's your sort of view on uh, the, you know, the EU and how that plays into investors' um, sort of uh, thinking? Well, the, the French election, which is forthcoming, in fact, they have a two-part election, April 23rd and May 6th, is of much, much bigger consequence to either the Austrian or the Dutch uh, elections, although, as you rightly say, that did push back against the march of populism. But Marine Le Pen is explicitly and outspokenly against the EU and the Eurozone uh, uh, overall, and is having a significant degree of success in generating votes, such that she may be the winner in the first round on the, uh, on the 23rd of April. However, this is a very different outlook to either the Trump-Clinton election or the so-called Brexit referendum for the reasons that the French have constituted their election process where it's not a one-time vote. Right. And the second vote, where you get two people running off, is very likely to be where she'll fail because mm. most neutrals or, or other um, uh, party voters would not want to have Le Pen under any circumstances. So I think despite the fact that if she were to win, it would be nothing less than an earthquake for financial markets right. and the dollar would probably soar against the euro, which would then collapse, it's oh. very unlikely to happen. And despite the pulses having been wrong about Trump and Brexit, like in this case, I would put my um, colors to the mast and say I think it's very improbable because of the way the French have constituted their political election process, which is very different than either in the U.S. or the U.K. There were no did, did, wait, wait, do-overs. Right, right. Yeah, no kidding. Did, did you say put my colors to the mast? 
Yeah, I did. Is that a Britishism? I guess I yeah, I never heard that. I like it though. What was that? It's a, na- it's a naval expression, I guess, from the old days when uh, we used to rule the seas or something like that. I suppose. I like <laughs> you it. Put your, your colours to the mast, saying this is what you really believe. Oh, that, I'm going to start using that. I like that a lot. Sorry to interrupt. I just started had it. You know, I never heard that one before. But it's interesting as well because not only have you got that political issue going on, you've got the beginning of Brexit. So as of today, the clock starts ticking for a two-year negotiation. Right. And it, it's game theory, the yeah. highest possible stakes between the UK government in Westminster, where I'm sitting uh, in London, and uh, the EU, EU Commission in, in Brussels. And as you would imagine, on the one hand, the British want to be highly conciliatory to get a good deal. Um, and the European Commission... To some extent, uh, it's in their interest for Europe as an economy to have a a, a swift deal. But for political reasons, they want to make sure that um, there's a cost. Because they would not want to encourage other of the remaining 27 members to say, well, that's a good deal for me. I'll exit as well. So the political dynamics are significant, very complex, and that's what we're going to see in the next couple of years. So from that perspective, sterling, which is now a weak currency, could get a little bit weaker given the uh, the the mess which this will ensue. But it's holding up. It's holding up. You know, well, it's, I think it's, it's down. sideways, really. Yeah, it's down about fourteen percent, right, uh, or something like that, um, in recent this year. Or yeah, collapsed from uh, from the June twenty third vote, and yeah. then again it had a lurch lower in October, and it's sort of gone within a range sideways ever since. And this is where the complexities of the next two year process um, are going to drive it. And if those negotiations go poorly and the economy turns down a result, it's going to suffer further, which is the base case probably. Um, I'm wondering if we could take the uh, the 30,000-foot view and a really long-term view of, of this dollar rally and you know, put a question to Mark. The, the, this dollar has been rallying since 2014 or 2011, depending how you count it. Yep. Historically, is this is this rally not getting a little bit long in the tooth? And when do you look for what are the signs that it is turning? And are we seeing some of those signs right now? I would say that um, in the big picture, it's probably somewhere um, in the sixth or seventh inning. Um, the dollar has now become overvalued, so it's past the midway point of the game. Um, but I think the potential for it at the United States to outperform cyclically is still there with, as I mentioned earlier, the Fed not pricing, excuse me, the market not pricing as much as the Fed might do. And the potential for Trump to turn around and surprise a little bit relative to damped and dashed expectations. So I think there is a little bit further to go in the next uh, year or more. And the long-term perspective, which is the context of your question, albeit in the short term, perhaps having agreed with Ivan that the uh, the pullback here and the, the rally in European currencies could be a feature of the second quarter. So I would couch it in th- those terms. I wouldn't say as yet that we've rung the bell and then the ninth inning and the whole game is over. Have we seen the big juicy part of the rally already? Well, obviously 2014, was, was, was a, there was a lot of juice there. We had a move from the euro from 140 to 105. And that was a profound issue. Everyone got excited and the questions asked about, is it going to break parity? Everyone said, well, of course it will do. And we've gone sideways for about 18 months. So that part of the juicy element of it has come and gone. Maybe that's the you know, third, fourth, fifth inning, sixth inning, so to speak. Um, but I think there may be one more leg, but it is contingent upon the U.S. economy continuing to be robust and the Fed responding to that and somehow 
that the White House turning around from what has been a pretty woeful start in terms of political terms. I love how Mark is able to easily go from U.S. to U.K. cultural references. Innings. It's very impressive. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I was a resident of New York for six years, so um, I can speak both languages. That's great. You're a man of the world. One, one of the questions, we, we sort of touched on this, Ira, you touched on this earlier, but was emerging markets. And I just wonder if you just hit on that quickly, the outlook for emerging market currencies uh, for the rest of the year. Well, people, are, investors are looking for yield, and uh, there are a lot of concerns about valuations in in the U.S. with averages standing near their all-time highs, and uh, emerging markets are comparatively less overvalued, although no one will tell you that they're undervalued, but they're comparatively less overvalued, and uh, the, uh, the the sector got a big boost in the middle of March when the Fed was less hawkish than many investors expected it to be. Um, That gave uh, investors kind of an excuse to go out there and into emerging markets and look for that yield, knowing that yields in the U.S. are not going to go higher, as high as they expected. So... That, that, that's giving the sector a boost, and you also have a commodities rally that's um, encouraging for emerging market investors. And uh, there, while there are risks there, uh, there are not a lot of people who can afford to go and uh, miss out on the rally. So it's a lot of yield chasing there. Yeah, to pick up on Ivan's point, that that theme has been a significant one in the last couple of months. And as you say, people are, are seduced and encouraged by the extra yield, and indeed capital flows show that. But for the second quarter outlook, there's probably one big event that could be profoundly important for emerging markets, and that's the whole issue of China, which has improved in economic terms compared to expectations a quarter ago. But only in a couple of weeks, the Premier Xi Jinping is going to be meeting Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago, and that could be very important in terms of the dynamics between the U.S., China, and the whole trade concerns that people had. And secondly, on the 15th of April, there will be the declaration by the U.S., which is a biannual uh, report, about which countries in the world are currency manipulators. And the question then is, does China get named in the way that Trump threatened to do so in the campaign? That would have substantial consequences for either relationship on a biannual uh, bilateral basis and with emerging markets more generally. So those are two big events to watch in the next month or so, which could um, which could uh, lay the groundwork for everything in the second quarter. Is that, is that more significant than what he says on Twitter? <laughs> well, we'll have to see quite whether he's prepared to be bold enough to follow up his words in the campaign right. with, uh, with with action in this case. But uh, as you imply, you never quite know what uh, what he means or what he's going to say. Right, right. All right. Mark Astley is CEO of Millennium Global. Thank you for your time, Mark. Really appreciate it. Great to speak with you. Ira Yosebashvili, currency reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Always good to have you on, Ira. Always a pleasure. Uh, Stephen Grosser, my boss and a great editor here at the Journal. Stephen Grosser, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And uh, I am Paul Vigna. Everyone, thank you for listening. And if you have something to say, if you want to contact us, you want to reach out, listen, write us. We are at, well, it's not at, write to WSJ, or I'm sorry, podcasts at DowJones.com. That is the email. We will catch up with you again very soon. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, check us out at WSJ.com slash podcasts. 
podcasts. Become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and now look for us on the Google Play Music app on Android devices. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.